is Cabernet and True Crime, the place where good wine and true crime come together. I do love that every single week I come on here, I'm like, I need to pre-record this intro so I don't have to record it every week, and then every week I don't pre-record the intro, and therefore I have to record it every week. Hi, friends. Welcome. <laughs> I'm your host, Jana, and this is my little, my little, little podcast, and thank you for joining me today. Thanks for the uh, little hiatus last week. Um... It was a midterm for me, if you saw my Instagram post. If you didn't follow me on Instagram, I am at Cabernet and True Crime. I post something new pretty much every day, whether it's educational or humorous or Weird Crime Wednesday. That is what I bring to the table over there. <laughs> but I, I, um, yeah, also, if you ever need to contact me, that's the place to do it is on my Instagram, not through email, because, I mean, unless, like, you're sending me something important, but I don't, I try to check my email every day, the true crime email, and sometimes I forget. Anywho, um, so I'm in grad school, we know this, I'm getting my MBA, we know this, and one of my classes is really kicking my butt right now, and I just, I need, (laughs) I had a midterm, I ended up getting a a B minus, so that's fine, I'll take it, but I really wasn't confident about the test, and that's Wednesday nights, so like, literally every Wednesday night I'm having my brain pounded in a mush and then like I like to try to record on Wednesdays as well and it's just listen Thursday's record day Thursday is record and post day I think until this class is over with because this is just it's too hard it's too hard and usually by the time I'm done with class I just want to like lay down and stare at the ceiling until the sweet release of sleep takes me (laughs) yeah um yeah, I'm just happy I made the decision earlier um, last week to not do the podcast and just be committed to not doing it and take the mental space. Instead of feeling like the guilt, there's a lot of guilt associated when I say I'm going to do something and then I don't do it. So um, just realizing my own limits, that's moderation, baby. That's learning how to grow as a person. Um, Nero is downstairs fighting his bed right now. So if you hear that, you might, and I'm sorry, that's what that sound is. I promise it's nothing weird. It's just my dog being weird. Um, yeah, so grad school, I don't think I could have handled doing an episode, and uh, also just trying to do a full-time job at the same time, too much. It's too much. I don't think I have any housekeeping for this episode, at least not to my knowledge, but I do, however, have a ton of stuff in the works on my end, some internal housekeeping. Um, I just hate there's like a lot of backlog to it. So in order to like, I, I kind of just have to set my sights on my goal and just kind of barrel down and do it. <sighs> it's not going to be fun and it's, it's going to take a lot of brain space, but I think the payoff of it will be great. So look forward to that, you know, um, and it'll all work way better if I just stop taking extended year long hiatuses and just fucking commit to having a podcast and doing what I'm doing. Um, yeah, so that's all that. That's my, that's my, uh, spiel. Um, cool. Also, yeah, somebody asked me the other day, and here's my answer, that the YouTube channel will be coming back at some point. Um, I just need to get a rhythm with everything else going on with my life, and then, uh, yeah, the podcast, the YouTube channel will be back. I expect that to be 2024. January 2024 is my estimated re-release date for the, for the YouTube channel, so... 
get get ready for that. If if you don't follow me, get prepared. Be prepared for it. <laughs> it's I you know though they like doing a YouTube. This is my last spiel. I'm sorry. This is five minutes in. My like doing a YouTube channel is a lot harder. There's a lot more um, editing and preparation that has to go into it because I actually have to like moderately care what I look like before doing that. So it's just it's um it's bigger commitment and like, I edit everything. It's just harder to do. So we'll wait on that. All right. So <laughs> that's all that. As you all know. I like to cover cases that I feel like most people, especially, you know, me in particular, haven't heard of. And in the beginning of this podcast slash when it was a blog, I know I covered like Jack the Ripper, BTK, and Richard Ramirez. I know these things about myself. I feel like those are really surface level just because I knew them already and I knew the ins and outs of the crimes. And there really wasn't a rabbit hole for me to fall down just because I knew it already. Um, I will admit that there is a caveat to doing a super already covered crime because there is a lot more information and it's way easier to come up with a script. When you pick these kind of more obscure crimes, as you'll see in a minute, um, you really it's a really big struggle to try to find any type of information out there on any of these things. And it takes a lot more time to go about this. And I was just thinking that like, as I was coming up here and sorry, Nero's crying now, but as I was coming up here to record, I'm thinking like, you know, what's silly is that I just spent, I mean, probably close to 10 hours on this script and recording and researching and getting everything together, like total 10 ish hours. And this podcast is probably going to be like 35 minutes tops. And that's the crazy thing about it is that it takes so much work for, I mean, in some opinion, little payout, but I think it's more fascinating to do this kind of stuff, even if it takes a little extra longer. Um, As I've said before, I am one person. I do not have a research team. I do not have a writer or an editor. I am it. It is me. And Nero sometimes making it way harder. So, uh, this everything with a grain of salt I am it I am Cabernet and true crime in the essence of everything so um I, I prefer to cover the lesser known ones just because they're more of like an exciting rabbit hole for me and also every case is important and everyone matters except for serial killers those people don't matter but every victim and every family matter which is why I think it's a good idea to shine the light on the other lesser known cases and even those that are unsolved too so episode 59 brings us to Muncie, Indiana, which of course I'm going to tell you where that is in location to other cities because that's what I'm here for. I always think, what's that by? And if I'm thinking that, you might be thinking that too. So Muncie, or Muncie, whichever, I'm not sure. Muncie? Muncie feels right. So Muncie is like equidistant between Fort Wayne and Indianapolis, except it's not equidistant (laughs) because it's closer to Indianapolis. Um, It's in Indiana, the Midwest. You get what I'm saying. You know where we're at. You know, it's an area. It's in that vicinity. Now, both Wikipedia and Murderpedia both say that Thomas Wayne Crump was born on apparently some random day in 1940 in the aforementioned Muncie, Indiana. But that can't be right Uh, unless he was actively and consistently lying about his age. And despite scouring the internet, I cannot find anything about his parents, his childhood, or any of his other information. So it looks like this is going to be one of those cases where we can look at his child. We can't like look at his childhood and point out the eureka moment as to when or why he becomes a killer. Uh, There is none of that for us. I think we just kind of have to assume that he had a relatively normal childhood out here in the Midwest, 
Um, I feel like the Midwest breeds a different type of person than somebody who was, say, born in, like, New York City or, like, California. I think the Midwest is just a very specific area of the United States, and we are just built a little differently. Um, And that's not necessarily a compliment to us. So take that with however you want to take it. I just think we're built different. (laughs) I feel like you have to be built a little different to withstand the winters and the changing of the seasons. Although... Living in Ohio, and Indiana too, because they're very similar, um, very low natural disaster rate. So, I mean, it could be worse. We've got, well, aside from the chemical spills, but that's not like a natural disaster. The most thing we really have is sometimes tornadoes. And, like, I've never actually seen a tornado in real life ever in my life. Like, I've never even been in a tornado. So, I mean... It, you know what? You deal with winter and the blizzards sometimes, and you get a payoff in the other direction. You know, it is, everything's a little game of give and take. Uh, but so back to my comment about the birth year thing, I say that 1940 can't be right because on August 28th, 1958, there was a snippet in a newspaper called, or that was titled Three Youths Charged, which reported that Thomas Crump age 16, and his two friends, who were 17, were charged with stealing a car earlier that month. So that's odd. And, like, I can understand that a newspaper, obviously, they get stuff wrong sometimes, but he was charged under a juvenile jurisdiction, so he couldn't have been 18, which is the age he would have been if he had been born in 1940. I mean, no matter how you hash it, despite the newspaper article, there's no way he was 16 at the time of the article, if you're saying he's born in 1940. So for the sake, and just for my own brain, I'm saying that he was born sometime in 1941. Uh, that does nothing for anyone but me, but I'm fine with that because I needed to go through that own that thing for my own brain and benefit. So thanks for, <laughs> thanks for coming on that journey with me. Uh, I'm saying he was born in 1941, and that's final. Uh, and honestly, it was really difficult to piece together Thomas Crump's teenage years. Uh, In a different article that I found, it states that Thomas, uh, his first serious crime occurred in April of 1958 when he was charged with juvenile delinquency after he struck, choked, threatened, and abused a woman who had quarreled with his mother, um, which that wasn't mentioned in the article I just talked about. Uh, That has not been mentioned anywhere else. I don't know if that's actually real or not. Um, So, yeah. Yeah. that, I don't know if that seems real. It, I mean, well, it does. It seems highly relevant to report that because if you're reporting this article that he stole a car, um, wouldn't it be important to note that he's also a repeat a repeat uh, criminal? You'd think so. Uh, so who knows? It's, it's neither here nor there. I'm just telling you that it happened. You can speculate the order that it happened in. I don't know. Um, and yeah, like, I mean, so according to this article, right, to go back to that, he allegedly beat the crap out of a lady and he's not just some car stealing hoodlum it is what it is but either way he wasn't a perfect teenager he's obviously getting into trouble even in his teens and around this time as well he is accused of stealing four cars over a two-day period and then pretty much just abandoning them um and one was found with its like windows smashed out and it was a whole big thing Now, I don't know if the car I previously talked about was part of this string of crimes, because it seems like these articles I'm finding can't agree on a timeline, but it should all be noted nonetheless. So, 
Crump is a hoodlum, even in his teens. He never really gets into, like, super bad trouble, but mostly just, like, brief jail stints or sentences that were entirely suspended. Um, in one of the auto theft cases, he was granted leniency because of his, quote, willingness to work with officers in solution of crimes committed by others. So he's a snitch. And, I mean, I get it. He's a kid. You don't want to, like, hit a kid, like a literal teenager, with the full force of the law. Um, especially because if, you know, like, he's not hurting anybody, I mean, he hurt that lady, um, but he's not, like, a violent criminal, right? He's, like, stealing cars, which obviously is bad, too, don't get me wrong, that's not bad, but, like, it, he's getting into trouble, and you hope that, like, by giving him little slaps on the wrist, and, like, kind of saying, hey, man, like, you're gonna go to jail as a teenager, like, that's not a cool look for you, you'd think, like, he (laughs) would realize that he's kind of acting like a butthole, and go like, get on the straight and narrow and end up being a productive member of society. Because that does work. It happens sometimes. Have you ever seen uh, Scared Straight? I mean, hey, it probably works for some of those kids. So it's one of those, like, hey, buddy, you're on the path where, like, you're not a, like, you're a criminal, obviously, but you're not, like, a hardened criminal. And you're not, you haven't done anything aside from stealing cars. Like, you can't take back. Stealing somebody's car, yeah, that sucks. Like, if my car got stolen today, I'd be very upset about it. It's annoying, for sure. Um, and it's a crime nonetheless, but at the same time, like a car is replaceable. You can buy a new car, you can get a new car. Um, the theft of a human life or the theft of an animal's life, like you can't get that back. You can't undo that task. You can't just get a new dad, you know, or you can't just get a new grandma. Like it's, those are, those are, in my opinion, a different level of crime. So he's just stealing cars. It's really not, it's just, it is what it is. So he could still be turned around and become a productive member of society, in my opinion. And I'm sure you can assume, considering he's the topic of a true crime podcast, that unfortunately he does not turn his life around, nor does he get his shit together. Something that comes out later, a real after-the-fact situation, is that Thomas Crump says that he committed his first murder at the age of 16. He said that it was a priest, and that apparently it was still an unsolved crime, but I, nor the author of the article I got this information from, or any type of legal unsolved cases... Could I ever find any such evidence of a crime occurring in the general vicinity? And you know, like, people have expanded their search to say even if it didn't happen in Muncie, Indiana, there's a generally accepted radius of, like, where he could have been in that time frame and, like, in the mid-1950s, and no such crime exists. So take that with a grain of salt. Either he did or he didn't commit this crime. I'm just throwing it out there. Nobody knows either way. In 1960, when he's presumably 19 years old, he tried, along with an unknown, to me, accomplice, to steal a man's wallet in the public restroom of a downtown Muncie hotel. He was caught, but didn't spend any time in prison because he pleaded guilty to a misdemeanor in on account of larceny. Uh, that same year, though, he was convicted of burglary um, circumstances and situation fully unknown to me. I couldn't find it. Um, and that little ditty did earn him some jail time. And that following year, in May of 1961, Crump and another man were accused of effectively kidnapping a 23-year-old bellhop from the Roberts Hotel, also in Muncie, Indiana. They, according to the man, forced him into their vehicle and then later pushed him out of it while the car was moving at a speed of 40 miles per hour. When police went to investigate, Crump and his friend said that the man had gone with them willingly and also jumped out of the car willingly, despite the fact that the man had life-threatening wounds. 
uh, from his ordeal and had to spend several days in the hospital to recover. So this man got head wounds from... I, uh, I'm going to agree with the other person on this one just because I know what kind of fucking asshole Thomas Crump is. Pardon my French. Um, I'm going to say that uh, this man was effectively thrown out of the vehicle and he had like severe head injuries from being thrown out of said vehicle. Um, but uh, he ended up being okay. Um, the event didn't result in any convictions. So there's no real question on who the cops believed on that one. But uh, luckily, the man was fine. He, and to my knowledge, ended up living a normal and happy, healthy life. He is okay. In February of 1962, Thomas Crump and two other people are accused of luring a 54-year-old man they had met in a bar in downtown Muncie to a rural area where they robbed him of $82.70, which um, I put that into an inflation counter just to see, and it says it'd be almost $1,000 today, and I really don't know how I feel about that just to put that out there. Um, yeah, I'm not exactly sure how the rest of that event transpired, uh, because it wasn't written about, but I'm assuming Crump and his crew left the man out in the rural area and drove back to Muncie, but they got arrested for their deed, um, because he was okay, and I'm just assuming he walked, he had to walk all the way back (laughs) home, which really sucks. Imagine getting 80, driven out to a rural rural area getting $82 stolen from you and then being left out there and having to walk all the way back I'd be fuming um in September of that same year Crump went to trial and because of his long record of arrests convictions and suspended sentences they uh had to punish him at this point which good for them because eventually they're like dude you've committed too many crimes and we've let you off enough times that um you kind of need to pay some price for these things uh he pled guilty at this time to auto banditry which is a phrase that i've never heard before and i love it auto banditry imagine if they didn't call it grand theft auto like the game grand theft auto and they just called it auto banditry i'd probably play it i mean to be honest i played grand theft auto too but um yeah auto banditry I love that. Um, But the thing is here is that he was given a one to five year sentence for all these aforementioned crimes, Um, which is wild. And like at this point, you know, I kind of wish he'd been punished. I wrote in my script a little more. I wish he'd been punished a lot more because one to five years for all the tomfoolery this guy's caused is pretty much nothing. Like one year in prison. I get that he served a little bit of time before this, like up to this point. But one to five years in prison is nothing for all the mayhem he's caused up to this point. And I I know that he's a nuisance, obviously. And obviously, these little slip slaps, slip slaps on the wrist aren't doing anything to deter him from committing further crimes. Because he's still out here committing crimes left and right. So obviously, like one to five years isn't going to do jack squat for him to stop like he's not being deterred from any of these things. You're just proving that he can continue to get away get away with it. And like once again, I've said it before. I understand that as of right now, he's gotten like physical a few times and but and like has stolen a bunch of cars, but there's some type of escalation here. Like it's not like he's not not committing crimes. And you know, he certainly at least to the belief of everybody hasn't like brutally maimed anybody yet like nobody has not survived from this event but like it's still not good like none of this is good right so you're just showing them that he can continue to get away with it with minimal or no consequences at all on tuesday october 15th 1963 
So, mind you, that last crime happened in 1962. So, by October 15th, 1963, he's out of jail. He, so, he wasn't even in jail for a year. He makes newspaper headlines when he and an accomplice were going to escape. Oh, just kidding. Jana, you wrote the script <laughs> yesterday. Listen, your girl is tired. So, never mind. He's still in prison. Ignore me. Ignore me. I'm spoiling, spoiling plot twists. So, on October... Uh, 15th, 1963, Thomas Wayne Crump makes newspaper headlines when he and an accomplice were going to escape from the Indiana State Reformatory, but chickened out and were caught. Uh, the two were found standing at the wall beside a makeshift rope, which was made out of bed sheets, and a homemade grappling hook. Uh, the wall they had considered climbing was 65 feet high, and they would have had been subjected to searchlights and guns from the main tower. Um, yeah, 65 feet up and 65 feet down, that's kind of, I mean, I, I'm also terrified of heights, so I would, I also would never find myself in prison, so this whole thing is just a very hypothetical situation for me, but I wouldn't be doing it. Um, and the article that I read actually mentioned, it was the one from 1963, that 12 years earlier, there was also an escaped attempt in pretty much that exact same spot that ended with one prisoner shot to death and the other wounded. So I understand their apprehension on all fronts. Also, like, bro, just serve your sentence. It's one to five years. I mean, you know, you like, just serve your sentence. That's all I have to say. Um, a few years later, in 1966, Thomas Crump is back in Muncie, home sweet home. He is a father now and has been married and divorced and is once again arrested and accused of robbing a clerk at a hotel. Nice. Um, he told police that he was living at the downtown Muncie YMCA, and at this time he had allegedly confessed to the crime, which was the most recent hotel robbery, but refused to sign the paper that said he had confessed. So apparently I didn't realize that was an out, that you could confess and then just not sign the paper, and then they got nothing. Um, he was obviously not kept under police custody because, according to the article, he was arrested a few months later on a theft investigation. A detective was driving him to City Hall for questioning on May 1st, 1966, for said theft investigation. And Thomas Crump bolted out of the backseat of a police car and he fled. So there he goes. Um, efforts were unsuccessful in finding him in Muncie, and you'd have to imagine that the Muncie police are probably, like, not that sad to see him go, right? Like, I figured as, so my opinions on Stephen Avery, I haven't seen the second um, show or whatever, but, like, that whole family, and how Stephen Avery was just, like, a ne'er-do-well who was always kind of just in and out of trouble and just, like, in and out of jail on whatever charges. Um, it feels like that guy, so not that I agree with the Manitowoc Police Department, because, um, I, I don't think they're good people in general, but I digress. I'm, I'm going off topic here, but I feel like the Muncie Police Department, if I were a Muncie police officer, I'd be like, hell yeah, I don't have to deal with this guy anymore, you know, because he's just, he's just a hoodlum, a all-around hoodlum, causing nuisance and inconvenience. So, um, yeah, I don't, I don't think they'd mind. He's like the literal worst, so good, good riddance to him, I'd say. And this is a good time to interject. If you hear any banging around now, he stopped playing with his bed and crying. But now Nero, the dog, is playing with... We signed up for Bully Make Box. And 
this is not an ad um he loves it the toys he got and the treats he got 10 out of 10 he loves it i'm excited that he's happy about it so we'll continue to purchase that for the foreseen future but he's down there playing with a toy it's like a hard like oven mitt looking thing and it's he really enjoys it so it's just loud on the tile so sorry um okay in july of 1967 thomas crump resurfaces again now in albuquerque new mexico uh he robbed and tried to kill a clerk in a western union uh i'm not sure if the police know if it's him or if we just i don't know are presuming it at this point um i'm not sure at what point in the story we find this out because a month later he shows up in saranac Michigan, which I'm here for you. Saranac is about 30 miles east of Grand Rapids, Michigan. See, I got you. So old Crump is at a bar <laughs> around this time and a waitress slash bartender, I'm not sure which, asks to see his ID before serving him alcohol, which is, in my opinion, a very, very standard thing to do. Um, I guess he got himself in a tizzy and a blind rage because he more or less gets himself kicked out of the bar. And then later the waitress steps outside for, for whatever reason. I don't know if she like had to take a smoke or it was time for her to leave. Not sure. But she steps outside and this butthole is out there waiting for her. And he stabs her 10 times because she asked to see his ID. He stabs her 10 times. And guess what? She survives, she lives, and I love that. Like, thank goodness, because what the fuck, you know? She reports him to the police, and thank goodness she presses charges, and Crump's arrest leads to an attempted murder conviction and a beautiful, nice, long stay in a spacious Michigan prison. Yeah, dude, you can't, what are you doing? She ID'd you, she was doing her job, and then you stab her? Like, buddy take a chill pill, right? And like I said earlier, here we are, we're escalating, we've escalated because now he's got an attempted murder charge, right? Thank goodness he wasn't successful in killing her, but he damn well tried. You can't, like, it's not like he, oh, I accidentally stabbed her. No, he stabbed her 10 times. There's malice. That is absolutely attempted murder. And I'm glad that's on his record. And I wish right here, right now is where, like, oh, you know, he goes to prison and he finds out that like, oh, I don't have to continue on this path. I am once again, sorry to tell you, but this is not, it's only going to get a lot worse. It really doesn't get any better from here. So have that. There's a few missing pieces here that I've tried to find out more about, but they're like some big question marks. Another article I found while researching goes over Crump's rap sheet from his auto banditry days until the point we find ourselves in a story right now, which I'll summer summarize for you and your listening pleasure here. In 1958, he got an auto theft charge in Missouri. In 1959, he got a grand larceny charge uh, in Kentucky. In 1962, he got charged again for auto banditry in Indiana. In 1967, he had the attempted murder charge. In 1967, he had an attempted jailbreak charge, question mark, in Michigan. So he tried to break out of prison again. And then 1968, he had another attempted murder charge in Michigan. Those last two, I can't find anything about him trying to escape prison in Michigan, but apparently it happened and that's all I've got about it. So I don't know where those two charges come from. Um, So apparently he tried to break out of prison and he got slapped with another attempted murder charge. Don't know. By 1976, Crump is back in Albuquerque, New Mexico. 
Uh, he has worked sometimes as a construction worker up to this point, and I'm not sure what year he was released from prison. Couldn't tell you that. It wasn't important for anybody else to report, and so I don't know these things. He becomes friendly with one of his employees, Rhonda Higdon, who is 16 years old. Okay? She's 16. She takes an immediate liking to Crump, who sees him as a mature and kind guy, and she has no idea what kind of shit show this guy is. And let me tell you, they get married. They get married. And let me tell you, at this point, Crump is in his mid-30s. She's 16. He's in his mid to late 30s, depending on what year you want to believe he was born. And I know there's like a legal age of consent and whatever, but this is gross, right? Because she's a kid. He's a, he's an adult. I'm only 31. And like the thought of marrying a 16-year-old, I just can't even wrap my mind. I just can't even fathom that. Like that they're a child. Like that doesn't even make any, it doesn't even make any sense in my brain, right? And that's the, the whole age of consent thing is like for a 16 and a, like a 17-year-old or a 17 and an eight, like, you know, like like an age gap like oh whoops my boyfriend's 18 and I'm 16 like but there's you know teenagers teenagers with teenagers right like that's that's in my head what age of consent and like that kind of marriage is for like you're 16 your boyfriend's 18 you know and there you go that's not for a 16 year old and a creep in his mid-30s like that's not where that that age of consent that's she's a child and not only is this man crump a thief an attempted murderer and an auto bandit. He's also a fucking pedophile. So add that to his list. He and Rhonda are married and they have a baby together. Rhonda's family this whole time is like super against the marriage. And I appreciate that because apparently her father tried to talk her out of it for months after the engagement and never got to know his son-in-law. Because I truthfully think deep down like this dad was like, dude, I'm just going to convince my daughter to not do this and she won't marry this guy. But then she did marry this guy and now she's a 16-year-old married to a fucking mid-30-year-old who obviously groomed her and convinced her to marry him, which is just like the most bananas thing in my entire life. I, yeah. So the dad and the son don't, not the son, but the dad, Rhonda's dad and Thomas Crump do not have a relationship together. Um, and Rhonda was steadfast in her decision, as most 16-year-olds are. I mean, what can you say to a 16-year-old? So... Either way, though, the marriage goes south, and on July 13th, 1980, so what, that's three or four years later, um, so Rhonda would be in her 20s now, 19 or 20, I think she's 20, um, Rhonda files for divorce. On July 14th, the literal next day, Rhonda's body is found in a drainage ditch near the banks of the Rio Grande, Rio Grande River. I don't know how to say that. I'm from Ohio. Be nice to me. She had been shot five times, and Thomas Crump, obviously, was the main suspect in his wife's murder. Uh, despite this, though, police were unable to locate him for questioning or arrest. On September 9th, Thomas Crump is hitchhiking, because of course he is, when a 58-year-old man was nice and offered him a ride. Thomas got into the vehicle, slit the man's throat with a knife he had been hiding, and stole uh, $600 out of the man's wallet. And I'm assuming, because this part isn't written anywhere, that Thomas leaves the man somewhere and takes the truck because he heads to Nevada. Once again, thank goodness, because the man who owned the truck survived. By early October, Crump is posted in Las Vegas, living in a motel with two other men. 
On October 4th, he invited 26-year-old Jody Jameson, who was a sex worker, to his room. And I'm assuming it's a different one than the one he lived in because of this little next part of the story. Um, The two had sex, and afterward, Crump fatally strangled her. She was found in the bathtub, nude, bound, and with a uh, towel wrapped around her neck. Which I read towel, and then I read, like, pillowcase, and I also heard um, robe, a robe tie. So I'm not sure on that story. Um, The next day, Crump robbed his roommates and then opened fire on them, which is kind of like a real piece of shit thing to do. I mean, they were like your roommates. Why are you opening, open firing on your roommates after you are robbing them? Um, no, no loyalty to anybody, no concern at all. And I'm sure you've seen him. And if you haven't seen him, he should be the picture on this podcast episode. So you should be looking at his fucking face right now. Um, he just looks like he'd be a real butthole. Uh, he's got like a real punchable face. You know, if you just like look at him long enough, you just get angry and you could just, you could tell that he thinks he's hot shit. You can tell though, also from the picture that he looks like he smells like feet and like bad body odor. He just has, I don't know how to describe this man and how he makes me feel, but it's not good if you look at him long enough. Um, but like, so anywho, uh, he opened fires on his roommates, shooting both of them, but they both recover fine and are like, they survive. So No, nothing there. Just also just a real shitty thing to do. (laughs) To move to Las Vegas and then shoot your roommates is just such a wild, like, concept to me. Um, Four days later, though, he's back in Albuquerque. It's a 580-mile trip from Vegas, so I'm sure he spent most of that time traveling and being a piece of shit, because that's the usual for him. When he gets to Albuquerque, he runs into 78-year-old Irving Playstead, who needs directions. Uh, He's originally from Minnesota and doesn't know his way around New Mexico. And uh, Crump gets in the car with him to drive him to where he's trying to go. And then when they get to the outskirts of Albuquerque, uh, Crump shoots Irving to death and steals his car. Thomas Crump later said that he originally shot Irving in the chest, but after it appeared that he hadn't passed yet, shot him in the head. Two days after this, Thomas Crump robbed a flower shop Also in Albuquerque, but a flower shop seems like a really weird target for him. He usually attacks people at motels. Um, Somehow, he found over $17,000 worth of jewelry, and he pawned that off for, guess how much? $750. So, you're a buffoon. Like, you stole $17,000 worth of jewelry and got $750 out of it. So, nice job. Nice nice one. Um, Somehow, and I only say that because this guy gets around, like, the way he gets around is impressive, but somehow this guy shows up in Clearwater, Florida, like, not even that long after this, because I think this was all, yeah, this is on October 4th, so by November 16th, he's in Clearwater, Florida. Um, Police are called to a motel in Clearwater. Like I said, Clearwater, like, motels and hotels are his thing for whatever reason um he's at a motel in clearwater and there's a fight of a report of fighting wow i don't know how to read there's a report of a fight occurring and the cops show up and of course it's obviously thomas crump because who else would it be and he's promptly arrested um because he's violent and they do a background check on him and he's a wanted man obviously for murder among other things, and at this point, and at the very least, police want to put him away on three counts of murder. So knowing this, Clearwater police push him to try to get more information out of him, and he folds pretty quickly. 
He didn't fully tell the truth, but he told enough of it, and he told police that he had killed Rhonda, saying that after she presented the divorce papers, he wanted to take her out um, to go eat one last time, and she agreed, but when the two met, he drove her to the Rio Grande and ordered her out of the car, where he shot her five times. He tearfully suggested that he killed his wife because he knew she was leaving him, and then after this, confessed to the rest of his crime spree. The trial ensued, and the following year, um, in 1981, an Albuquerque jury found Crump guilty, and he was sentenced to life in prison. Shortly after that, he was convicted in the killing of Irving Playstead and received another life sentence, both of which should be served at the penitentiary of New Mexico. So, he's hanging out at the penitentiary of New Mexico, which is near Santa Fe. Now, there's actually a different fun story. Well, it's certainly not fun, but there's a different interesting story that kind of ties into this because I'm not sure when Thomas Crump ent- entered this system. Oddly enough, earlier that year in 1980, February 2nd and 3rd, um, this is the scene of one of the most violent prison riots to ever take place in United States history. So on February 2nd and 3rd, inmates took complete control of the prison and had 12 officers taken hostage. Inmates were killed by other prisoners, with some of them being tortured and mutilated before being killed because they had acted as informants to prison authorities. It took 36 hours for police to retake control of the prison after the riots had started, and by then, 33 inmates had died and over 200 had to be treated for injury. The number could be wrong, though, because several bodies on the premises had been incinerated. None of the the officers that had been held hostage were killed, but they suffered serious injuries, both mental and physical. Before the point, the prison was overcrowded. There were 1,156 inmates in a prison that was built to house 963. There wasn't adequate separation between the violent and nonviolent offenders, uh, so they were just mixed together, and it was reported by a visiting warden that it was the filthiest institution he had ever seen. In the aftermath, some of the inmates were prosecuted for crimes that were committed during the uprising, but most of the crimes went unpunished. The longest added sentence was nine years. There was some prison reform done, which I would assume had taken place by the time Thomas Crump shows up there. Of course, since we've seen this before, Thomas and a few other inmates try to come up with an escape plan. On August 30th, 1981, he acted. Corrections officers had discovered bars cut in a day room and an escape underway. Thomas and his crew, which I think there were a total of five people that were planning this escape, had taken three correction officers hostage at gunpoint. Where they got the gun, not entirely sure. I don't know if they took it or whatever, but at gunpoint. Uh, Two of the COs were locked in a cell, but the third, Gerald McGee, was handcuffed and taken into another room. Crump and his cohorts beat Gerald with a mop ringer before stabbing him 38 times. Unfortunately, Gerald, who had only been a CO for 14 months and who had been a police officer for Newton Falls, Ohio before then, succumbed to his injuries and passed away. Around 2 a.m., the prison warden arrived and met with the inmates. Surprisingly, Crump wasn't the leader in this situation, which I'm not saying he's charismatic, and I don't know if he actually is, because, I mean, like, look at him. But at the same time, he seems to be, like, kind of the ringleader, or at least an accomplice in a lot of the bad things that are happening, right? He's always got somebody else with him. He's never usually, except for, like, the carjackings, and even then, not in all cases, he's not acting alone. He's acting with somebody else. So... Uh, Crump isn't the leader in this situation. It was another man named Donald Donald Stout who was serving 10 to 50 years for armed robbery. Donald demanded that the inmates be released and that transportation away from the prison was to be provided. And the warden uh, absolutely did not agree to these terms. He's like, no, you're just going to go back to prison because that's 
where you belong. And at this point, um, though, the warden was unaware that anything bad had happened to Gerald McGee. So I think he was just kind of entertaining their madness because at this point the warden had just thought that like um the two guys were locked in a cell and like that's not comical obviously but i mean to to, he didn't think anybody had gotten hurt yet so he was probably just um i don't know entertaining these guys for a little bit because they're probably going to go be like jammed into solitary confinement for the rest of their lives after trying to escape like this so maybe he's just trying to give him one last hurrah but around 4 30 a.m he learns of what has transpired and um, he knows that Gerald McGee is now deceased. So he orders the inmates to surrender immediately. He's done playing this game. And the prison had been surrounded by peace officers at that point. So the inmates stepped down. They knew they weren't going to win. Um, ironically, three other inmates were charged with the murder of Gerald McGee. Two were tried and found not guilty. And Thomas Wayne Crump had confessed to the crime, but later recanted his story. Does that sound familiar? Um, two, oh, sorry, yeah. Uh, his involvement in the death, in my opinion, is still unknown. I don't know how much he contributed to it or whether he was just involved and there. After this uprising, all five prisoners were moved to different jails. On June 17, 1982, Thomas Wayne Crump was last seen cooking a pumpkin pie in the jail kitchen of a Torrance County jail, which a pumpkin pie in June seems a little odd to me. That's not really a, a not really the time for that, but to each their own, I suppose. He was in the kitchen, restrained with a 10-foot-long chain at the time, but somehow, and you know what I'm going to say, somehow this asshole escaped from prison. So he escapes from prison, and he somehow manages to steal a car pretty quickly, which is kind of shocking. And he drives back 54 miles. He drives back to Albuquerque. If you're a criminal on the run, why would you go back like, that doesn't make any sense to me. I don't know why you'd go back to Albuquerque. That, <laughs> I, like, that just is so nonsensical to me. Go somewhere new. Go somewhere else that people don't know you. Like, the, the police officers in Albuquerque know you. They know who you are. It's just silly. Um, and my confusion here, though, I guess, is the next bit. So he gets, I mean, the confusion is pretty much all of this, but the confusion here he gets to Albuquerque, he dumps that car he stole, and then he hails a cab. But for why? I don't know. So he robs the 22-year-old driver of said cab, which is probably why he hailed the cab to begin with, was to get money from the cab driver. Because he has a car, and he decides somewhere in this process that he's going to kill the driver. And he says, I want you to know I'm Thomas Wayne Crump, and shoots the victim twice in the head several things here first of all i i like you're not that cool you're not you're not that cool you have not made national headlines to my knowledge i can't even google and find you on the internet like so and this is how many years later you're not like it's not like everybody's talking about thomas wayne crump second of all you don't even have like a good name for these things it's just you're not you're not nearly as cool as you think you are and the only reason why i feel comfortable making jokes about this is because in a shocking turn of events, both bullets ricocheted off the man's skull, and he survived the attack. He was perfectly fine. He survived and was excellent and perfectly fine enough to even, like, tell people, like, yeah, this fucking butthole shot me in the head after telling me he's Thomas Wayne Crump. So, like, people know who this guy is, which is just, it just wild to me. What? I, yeah, stupid. Stupid. So, but later in the day, though, 
this is where it's not funny, but it was never funny to begin with. This is where, you know, we get serious. Crump hailed another cab whose driver was 44-year-old Ian Smith. Ian and Thomas Crump, like, apparently, I'm not entirely sure what transpired. Thomas tried to steal the cab or tried to steal money from Ian, and he fought back, and they were arguing. I think, I think it all took place in the car, but I'm not entirely sure. But they were arguing outside of a motel, and Crump had a gun, and he, uh, in the argument, fatally shot Ian uh, during that argument. Ian fought back, though, and during the scuffle, Crump shot himself through his right forearm. Um, after that, he staggered into the motel and pleaded for help. Within a few minutes, uh, which he'd only been out of prison for 27 hours, so he really didn't do a whole... I mean, he fucking did a lot in that amount of time, but, I mean, to only 27 hours for that um, was over because he shot himself. He is taken to Albuquerque into the hospital where he's treated, and unfortunately, he recovers. In April of the following year, he pled guilty to killing one cab driver, Ian Smith, and trying to kill the other. He got a 62-year sentence out of the trial on top of his two previously earned life sentences. During his sentencing, he told the judge, I'll be out again, which is alarming, because he's already been quite the escape artist. Two years later, um, in May of 1984, Thomas Crump was tried in Las Vegas for the death of Jody Jameson. He was found guilty. Uh, Crump said in a taped interview that he had killed Jody because he believed she was in cahoots with an intruder who stole from him while they were occupied. And this is a direct quote from him. I told her she could take the money to hell with her as I drowned her. She deserved what she got. I don't feel no remorse over it. I just wanted to kill her. During the trial, it was found out that he actually had also stolen Jody's car at the time, which added another conviction for robbery and got him an additional 30 years added to his forever. In a second videotaped confession uh, that was received during, uh, during the trial and evidence, uh, Crump spoke at length about the multiple crimes he had committed during his life, and he confessed that he had committed seven murders, seven attempted murders, and an innumerable amount, innumerable, wow, innumerable amount of robberies, assaults, and kidnappings. Crump additionally confessed he had participated in a prison uprising in which a prison guard had been taken hostage and killed, and he said that he escaped from a New Mexico jail. Um, so during this, as a reminder, this is Jody Jameson's trial, uh, the jury found him guilty after less than an hour of deliberation, which, thank you, and Crump also suggested that he wanted the death penalty because he said, and quote, I deserve it. He also said, if I was to get out of here today, I'd hurt somebody today. I don't want to hurt nobody else. A hearing to determine whether he would be executed was moved to a different courtroom because he had threatened to kill somebody. So he's doing a really great job here. Um, he got his wish, though, because he was sentenced to death and he was scheduled to be executed on November or in November. I'm not sure the exact date of 1986, but that was delayed because Crump and his attorneys repeatedly filed for appeals to delay the penalty. Um, he even took it to the high court um, and even tried to take it to the U.S. Supreme Court, which refused to even listen to him, which um, I believe he was most likely probably going to get the death penalty anyway, since he was a career criminal and responsible for some insane crimes and constantly trying to break out of prison. But like, why ask for it and then delay it as long as possible, in my opinion. Crump would, in total, spend 34 years on death row, which surprisingly went by pretty uneventfully. In May of 1992, he was accused of repeatedly stabbing another condemned killer who survived the attack. 
one thing I found funny, I mean, obviously not funny, but one article I read, they asked Crump the logical question anybody would have in their minds. Why? And his response, as well as Muncie, Indiana, um, so the Delaware County Prosecutor, Eric Hoffman, he's uh, kind of a big deal in Muncie, Indiana. And so there was an article written which sums up everything perfectly, and I'm going to read it to you now. I don't feel any compassion for the victims or anything I've ever done, Crump told the Las Vegas Review-Journal shortly before he was sentenced to death in 1984. Why? I don't know. I have no idea. I've searched for that why for so many years. He ultimately suggested that he was the product of the harsh treatment he received for his criminal activities in Muncie as a young man. 35 years after that interview, Crump's remarks make Delaware County Prosecutor Eric Hoffman, a toddler at the time of the 1980 killing spree in New Mexico and Nevada, bristle. His treatment was anything but harsh, said Hoffman, who reviewed an account of Crump's Delaware County criminal record at the request of the Star Press, which is the article that wrote this. If anything, he received, received extremely lenient treatment. Hoffman noted that several local crimes linked to Crump that resulted in suspended sentences or no prosecution at all. Crump was a career criminal who in today's criminal code would be classified as a habitual offender and would have vigorously prosecuted when would be vigorously prosecuted and would hopefully be sentenced to lengthy prison terms. Hoffman called any suggestion the local criminal justice system was too harsh on Crump a farce and an attempt to shift the blame for his illegal and evil deeds. As I've said before, we have a real problem in our society, the prosecutor said. We have come to a point where criminals are all too eager and willing to blame other people for crimes instead of taking personal responsibilities for their own actions. Unfortunately, when Thomas Crump died in a prison hospital at Carson City at 5.15 a.m. on June 14, 2018, his death was the result of ailments associated with old age, not from a lethal injection. And at that time, he was, if you want to believe he was born in 1940, 78 years old. And that's today's podcast. Look at that. I see I, I jinxed myself. I said it was only going to be 30 minutes, and it was actually 50, so... <laughs> the time correlation kind of worked out in my favor. So that is this week, and uh, it's going to be a short exit because this was kind of long. So I'll see you all next week.